Welcome back and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Coming Up Next. It's Alistair here and this is my podcast where I speak with the world's top creatives about creating a life of their own design. Today's episode is with legendary Australian comedic actor Marg Downey, but before we get to that, if you're loving this free podcast, I'd love you to do me a personal favour and go to comingupnext.com.au on said site you will find the entire back catalogue of Coming Up Next Rambles available to download for free. That's right, free, nothing, nada. We're getting real close to 100 episodes of Awesome Insights, and they're all available for nothing on that website. Now, I know what you're thinking. This is too good to be true. Well, I'm here to tell you that it is true. That is, it's true. It's not not true. It is true. They're all available there. So if you're feeling like you want to do something in return, while you're at comingupnext.com.au, you'll find links to subscribe, to rate, and to review this podcast. So go ahead, and you just might make my day. Today's episode brought to you by BossPods.com. Want a podcast like a boss? We've got the inside word on how to set up a podcast that's actually worth something. We've got the industry's best to show you how. Bosspods.com. Podcast like a boss. So Kin have got a, a show, another show coming up, uh, which you're not actually a part of, but it's uh, Tim Winton's Shrine. Tim Winton's Shrine, which is going to be playing at 45 Downstairs. Opening, um, it's from May 24th till June 18th. And uh, it's it's a great play. I'm helping to produce this production. Okay. Because we have to sort of spread the the roles around a bit, and it was time for Ali Fowler to to take a lead role, and uh, and Chris Bunsworth is in there, and it's a really good cast, and it, and it's a really it's a really good play. Do you enjoy the process of kind of stepping back from performing? I prefer um, p- performing, to be honest. Yeah. It's given me an insight into what producers do and makes me appreciate the work that they do behind the scenes. And I, I suppose deep down I, I knew that there was a, there were a whole lot of things happening, bubbling away, you know, in the background when you're doing a production. But when you have to step up and try and do a few things yourself, um, you really do have a, a new respect for that role. Marg Downey is as iconic as they come in the comedy space of Aussie TV. She started her career as part of the D generation and early on she would play pivotal parts on shows Fast Forward and Full Frontal. She'd go on to work on shows like Blue Healers, House Husbands, Open Slather and most recently Top of the Lake. She's part of the Melbourne theatre troupe The Kin Collective whose current show, Shrine by Tim Winton, is playing from tomorrow, that's May the 24th of 2017, through to June 18 at 45 Downstairs in Melbourne. Tickets can be purchased from 45downstairs.com, that's spelling out the number 45, and then the words downstairs.com. I think you should support indie theatre just like you support indie podcasts. So on that note, here's episode 96 of an independent podcast, my chat with Marg Downey. You've had a, an amazing career um, as a, an actor 
uh, and performer um, in Australia through primarily through comedy, um, you know, through degeneration and fast forward and full frontal and, you know, right through to more recently things like open slather. I wonder, though, do you remember the first time we kind of talking off air about, you know, having large extended families and kind of coordinating our cousins? Do you remember where that all kind of began for you? Yes, I remember the very first time um, that I thought, oh, I wouldn't mind a bit more of that, was I came from a large family too. There were eight children. Oh, wow. And we had a two-story house and I was climbing the stairs. I must have been about, I don't know, eight. Whereabouts did you fit in to the siblings? I was fifth, so I was in the middle. And I remember climbing up the stairs and my grandmother was walking along with my mother at the bottom of the stairs and I I sort of launched in, into a sort of pretend operatic voice <laughs> and my grandmother started laughing and so did my mother and I thought, oh, that was great. I love the fact that they laughed. And that was the first, I, that's my first memory of wanting an audience, I suppose you could say. But then I... Did So there were eight of us and then mum and dad persuaded some friends of ours to buy the house next door and they also had eight children. Good grief. Good grief. And we, a lot of us were friends and we'd sort of open up the windows and yell across the trees and say, what are you having for dinner and all that sort of thing. And they, we both had big front yards and there'd be footy matches and cricket matches and it was really, it was just fun. And... um I would sort of rally the troops. They weren't all that keen, the next door neighbours, but they were they were they were sort of obliged, and uh, we'd put on little shows for the for the you know the neighbours, and um, and I suppose that's where it all began. Were your parents encouraging of you as a yes, as a performer? Very, yeah, they were very encouraging. Um, Mum was a great audience. We had a big front hall and I'd just sort of write little shows and put them on um, in the front hall for her. She was actually, she was also quite good at, you know, um, being a critic. She would say, oh, no, you're overdoing it there, you know. And uh, so she she wasn't sort of always glowing in her praise. But she was very encouraging and Dad was encouraging and... I think mum mum had eight children, but before that she had dreams of being a cellist. She went to the conservatorium, but she had to give up her music career. So I think there was a bit of a performance streak on her side. And dad was a sort of gagster. He told jokes. They were always sort of, you know, about the Pope or right. golf or, <laughs> you know, St. Peter at the Pearly Gates. He He was one of those sort of gag tellers. And, I um, can relate to having a father and a grandfather who does yeah. that, and a brother. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. I think I think they both sort of secretly themselves quite enjoyed a bit of an audience. Then I, when I went to university, I remember sort of shaking in my boots a bit when I told them that I was giving up to go on tour with a show with Rob Sitch and co. But Dad just... Dad just said, yeah, look, go for it. Good on you, you know. Yeah. He was very encouraging. I got the seal of approval. So good on them for that. Absolutely. Mm. There's a lot of people um, don't have that kind of encouragement. No. 
They don't. And even now when my children <laughs> say, oh, I'd like to do that, um, you know, I, I can't be altogether encouraging because I know how hard it is. Yeah. But, you know, they, ha- they have to decide for themselves and, and, and fight for that if they want to. So uh, you grew up in, uh, in Melbourne. Yes. What was it that you were going to study at university? I began law, law arts. I gave up law after two years. And then I just kept deferring, deferring, deferring my arts degree. And I went back as a mature age student and finished that. Oh, wow. Mm. How long into your career were you when you did that? Oh, I was doing fast forward. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. I practically had a nervous breakdown. It was terrible trying to fit in essays and things um, while also working those incredibly long hours. I don't know how I did it. But anyway, I did. Finished it finally. What were the I kind of... I don't know why I went back, actually. I was, I was going to ask what, what kind of were the shooting hours or the, I oh, guess, those kind of parameters. Were... They were long hours, but they were unpredictable as well because you might get a, a sketch the night before and you had to learn it that night or dream up a character. Sometimes you get the script on the day. We had a lot of auto cue, which was good, uh, very <laughs> useful. But no, the hours, I remember sort of running home to mum and dad in tears and oh, that, oh, it was terrible. I, 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 it was hard work. I don't know why I did it. But anyway, I learned some. I did some wonderful subjects. Changing concepts of women in society was my favourite, and I uh, had some great lecturers, and so it was interesting. How old were you when you were kind of trying to perform that delicate balancing act? Mm. Oh gosh, I can't remember. I must have been sort of mid twenties, perhaps late twenties. Yeah. And so that was after you'd already kind of been established uh, mm, with the degeneration yeah. and that sort of thing. What was the what was the pathway from this kind of touring thing that you gave up university for through to starting the degeneration? Well, how it all began, I did the 1983 Law Review and in that show was were just an amazing group of people. Rob Sitch, Tom Gleisner, Santo Cilaro. Wow. Um and various other really talented people, Deirdre Osborne, Sean Pryor. I don't know if you know Sean, but she was a presenter on ABC Radio. She was one of the singers. It was just an amazing group of people. Then I was still at university sharing a house with a fellow and another bloke, and Rob Sitch happened to be a friend of one of those blokes that I was sharing a house with and he dropped in one night and I was sort of saying I wasn't really enjoying uni and he said oh and we got talking about drama and acting and he said oh you should come and audition for the law review I thought oh that sounds good yeah because I'd already done a couple of college plays so I did that and I got in and then the year after we that was the year Rob came with me to see mum and dad and we said oh we're going to take the year off and and they said that's fine and then we took that show I think to Adelaide Festival we took it on tour to various venues and then it was picked up by John Pinder for The Last Laugh 
Theatre Restaurant, which was in Smith Street, Collingwood. And then some ABC executives came along and, and asked us to create a TV series. Wow. Hmm. It's amazing. It's amazing. Which I auditioned for, I'd have to say. Hmm. But anyway. How did you feel about story. that? Oh, that was all right. Yeah. I got there in the end. Yes. <laughs> weren't happy about it at the time? I don't think they were convinced that I was funny. Right. Mm, they weren't. They weren't convinced. So I had to convince them. Well, you obviously did. Luckily. Yeah. Because mm, it was fun. <laughs> and so what was that like then, that, that whole experience? It was good. It was fun. It was um, I was pretty, pretty much you could do whatever you like, to be honest. I The thing I found the hardest was the writing. I wasn't used to writing. I'd written bits and pieces, but when I accepted the position, I suppose you'd call it, on the show, I wasn't quite... I didn't realise that I'd have to go and sit down and write sketches a lot of the time. Luckily, luckily, Magda joined the team and we just had chemistry and we we fired off one another and we wrote a lot a lot of sketches together and and have ever since had you known her before i had known magda have you read her book i haven't it's fantastic no. oh, yeah? it's really worth reading i played tennis pennant tennis um as a junior and so did magda so we we've known each other since we were 12 wow we met on the tennis schoolgirl tennis circuit she was very good and uh yeah we'd just sort of chat at the back of the court and um so we did know each other from a very early age then our paths didn't cross for a long time but then I saw her up at Melbourne University she looked completely different and uh, (laughs) I thought I wonder if that is the same girl Anyway, then I went to see a, a little show up at uni and she was in it. And I thought, sure enough, yes, that is her. So I went and introduce, reintroduced myself. And we, uh, yeah, later on, we ended up working together for many years. What was your, you know, where did the kind of creative process start for you? And then how has it kind of evolved over decades? How did it start? I think. And I think to this day this is true. It's all it's just about collaborating with people who are on the same wavelength. And it usually starts from just impro. Just sort of I mean, Magda and I would sit in the Galleon Cafe in St Kilda for literally hours. Literally hours just and just winging it, just sort of or, or at her place or at my house, but it was always just, I would, I think, I think it's fair to say, I would often say, oh, what, what would happen if, and then Magda was just really good at just sort of riffing and just sort of taking the idea and running, running away, <laughs> running away with it. No. It's my idea. <laughs> Give it to me. <laughs> No, but I, I think I, I'm not bad at sort of coming up with the sort of basis, the core of the idea, but then she is too. Anyway, and I think 
getting back to Kin Collective, which is something I'm involved in now, our first production, once again, was just based on impro. Doing a lot of impros and then connecting those ideas and spinning it into a, a tale. Mm. Is that something that you feel you really kind of learned in those sort of earlier years with DJN mm. and mm. Fast Forward? Yeah. What, how, did, uh, how did Fast Forward sort of come to you after DGEN? Fast Forward came to me via Steve Vizard. He must. He says, I think, that he saw me in a production up at Melbourne Uni because he was a few years older than me. But I know that he. I'd heard about him and I knew he was sort of in one of the colleges and I'd heard of Steve. I think I might have met him socially. Um, so I think he might have seen a production that I was in. And then... Magda and I were thinking of doing a show post DGEN on our own. We were sort of cooking up a bit of a TV show. And he invited me to lunch um, at a sort of snazzy restaurant in town and and proposed this show. And I said, oh, well, look, I'm working with Magda. And, and he really wanted Magda as well. That was just sort of... Um, you know, accepted that she would have been part of the team as well. We were both going to be in it. And so it took a little bit of persuading, but Magda and I talked about it and then said, yeah, look, why not? We may as well. And he, then he he just assembled this fantastic team of people. And some of them we'd never met. I'd never met Jeff Brooks or Steve Blackburn or Peter Moon Um and yet it just worked. But then, of course, I knew Jane because I was at school with Jane Turner. We, we'd known each other since grade six. Yeah, wow. Do you remember when you first met her? Yeah. She'd come from New South Wales and she had a very, very short hairdo, which was pretty radical um, for young girls. We all had sort of long hair and pigtails and plaits and all the rest of it, but Jane had a really cutting-edge um, hairdo and this wonderful deep husky voice. And she she came into the drama class and just, I do remember she became a spider. <laughs> I don't know, she was doing some sort of kooky thing where she was a spider and I thought, oh, she is just fabulous. That girl is just so funny. And um, so we would write things together as well. We would dream up little things at school, always make them into radio plays or performances of some sort. So that collaboration was born as well. Must be pretty special to kind of transcend almost a lifetime of collaboration with someone. Yeah, it is. We know so, and so many of our jokes just go back such a long way, you know, to... You know, she'll say some little line from something that happened when we were, you know, 15 or something and we'll roar with laughter. No one else would understand it. But, yeah, we speak <laughs> in code. <laughs> but we had a great year at school. We had another girl in our class called Nisha Fitzgibbon 
and her father was Smacker Fitzgibbon. Do you remember that song, The Adventures of Barry Mackenzie? Oh, yeah. Dinky Die Tales. That was her father who sang that. He was a really good friend of Barry Humphreys. And they had a theatre restaurant in North Melbourne. So Jane and I just used to love going to this jazz club and listening to Smacker and then there were sort of signed photographs of Barry Humphreys on the wall and we just thought it was just so cool and Nisha became a really fantastic jazz singer and I actually went to see her at the Paris Cat Jazz Club on Saturday night so um, yeah we just sort of gravitated towards one another all the show folk in the class I, I, uh, I spoke with Mark Ruse on the show um, one of the producers from Fast Forward, as you, I'm sure, know. Yes. <laughs> uh, and he sort of, he spoke about the show as being just this amazing kind of almost stars aligning mm. moment. And, you know, I've spoken with a few actors on the show who have spoken of, you know, things like The Secret Life of Us or Underbelly. They speak about these shows with such warmth as uh with for the collective experience of it and i wonder i suppose what was the kind of day-to-day experience of that for you the day-to-day experience was just joy i mean and laughter and we would congregate usually in the makeup room and we probably drive the makeup people um see that was another thing about fast forward that people don't acknowledge really but the makeup artists had uh, a huge impact on the success of that show Barb Cousins and uh, various others just the whole look you know making transforming people and making them look like all the people we're impersonating anyway we would sit in the uh, makeup chair and for some reason that was just the fun place to be and characters would develop in the makeup room often one day I came in I had a wry neck um, and I came to work in a flesh-colored neck brace because um, (laughs) and it was really unattractive but Magda said oh can I try it on and she for some reason she just washed her hair and it was wet or something and she had no makeup on and for some reason this flesh-colored neck brace combined with her lank hair and no makeup just looked hilarious and so we wrote a sketch around that character and she became ugly Cheryl it was ugly Bob and Cheryl and they were a very pervy couple who um (laughs) just wanted to sort of they're a bit sort of swingers you know know, swingeresque they were very one of some of some of my favorite characters actually so characters were born in the makeup room but it was it was just fun I mean it was hard work particularly writers meetings I found that hard that it kind of reminded me of being at university I hated tutorials where someone would say what do you think (laughs) 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 and I'd have to give an opinion that was hard because you sometimes I hadn't done the study Um, but anyway Reading out your sketches in front of a whole lot of people at the weekly writers' meeting could be confronting. 
I was going to say it sounds like it could be quite a, a vulnerable sort of mm, uh, experience. Mm. Some people were better exposing. at it. So I would say, I would often say to Magda, oh, can you read it? She was good at that. What else? The hours were long, really long. And, you know, you didn't have big budgets for catering and all that sort of thing. And it wasn't until later that we'd get those sort of snazzy makeup vans and things and, and places to change. <laughs> it was... Later on, but and, and, and then we, you know, as as the years went on um, and the success of the show grew, so did, so too did our privileges and, you know, and we were treated very well. It was great. Did you find while you were trying to balance uh, your university or going back to your studies again that um, some of your fellow peers would be asking you to do characters from the show? <laughs> no. But I do remember one of my lecturers, I got an essay in, but just a little bit late, and, and she said, oh, my goodness, I saw you on the television last night. <laughs> and um, good on you for getting this in. And, and the dean of the arts faculty, although you were meant to finish your degree within 10 years, he was a fan of the show, so he extended it. So I think I was a bit of a record breaker at Melbourne Uni. My arts degree, I was allowed to do in 11 years oh wow <laughs> yeah he was he was a really nice bloke and I'd write to him each year saying look I'm going to defer again he'd go oh good on you yes so no kids um, students I don't think they really asked me for autographs or anything mm, no requests for sultry European newsreaders <laughs> no. <laughs> no requests that I can remember maybe they did no I don't think so so how did the creative process kind of evolve from there into, say, Full Frontal, where the format is relatively the same, Yeah, you know, some different people? Was it the same sort of process or, or had, it, had it kind of changed? That was a sort of um, handing over of the baton period, really. I think after four years, we'd pretty well used up all our party tricks and we were racking our brains thinking, what can we do now? Um, and I think we all thought, look, enough's enough and I think we a lot of us wanted to try other things uh, see if we could perhaps do dramas or whatever so that was a transition period where Eric Banner and various other performers joined the gang and we just sort of transitioned with them we'd be put into a, a sketch with them and I think they took over a lot of the writing then we just sort of eased out of it took a back seat and then eventually just left and then oh we did a few specials with artist services a few little bits and pieces and then we we're out on our own with you know some of these amazing people that you have worked with and collaborated with over all of this time do you see um common traits i suppose or things that kind of the like consistent sort of things that come up with the projects and with the performers um, that you can kind of point to? I suppose a sense of humour is the key. But then more and more I think I feel most comfortable with those people that I've known for a long, long time. The Janes, the Ginas, the Magdas. And the good thing about, well, 
I don't know whether you know, but something that reignited my career was 16th Street and Kim Courageous's fantastic acting school. I went to a master class there with Larry Moss. Oh, yeah. And I was a participant, which was very nerve-wracking. But it opened my eyes to collaborating with all sorts of other people. I suppose I'd been in a sort of little bubble, little comedy bubble, which was really fun and I loved, but it was kind of time to try my hand at something else. And going along to that masterclass introduced me to a whole new group of people and Kin Collective emerged from that experience. And and now I love working with those people. Still love collaborating with all the other people as well. But it also made me sort of experiment with drama, I suppose you could say, which was something I hadn't done a lot of. I always wanted to try it, but I wasn't sure if I'd be any good. Still not sure, <laughs> to be honest. But to go back to your question, is there something, some common trait? Maybe not. Maybe I thought there was, but now I think you just have to be open to all sorts of people and collaborations and ideas and... Yeah, I think it's taught me that. What did you learn? Well, what were some of the kind of prevalent lessons with the Larry Moss Masterclass? For me, it was just working at it. Just there are no excuses. Like you can't say, oh, no one's ringing me. I'm not getting any work. You just got to get out there and find work or make work or form relationships with other actors, producers, writers, you, you just can't sit back and wait. And that was one of the main things. See, he, it's it's quite hard because he'll say, hey, you should do a show. Get out there and put this on. And then you think, yeah, we should. And then the nuts and bolts of that are really difficult. You've got to get a venue. You've got to find a rehearsal space. You've got to pay for those venues and rehearsal spaces. You've got to maybe get a dialect coach in because we took on a trilogy of um, Martin McDonough's At 45 Downstairs and we put this trilogy on and it was a huge undertaking. It's a very ambitious kind It was of a really ambitious <laughs> undertaking. Anyway, we did it and it was a huge success and won awards and it was it, on the Sunday we would do all three plays in a row. Bloody it was a hell. sellout. It's amazing. Yeah, it was. It was. It was huge. But it's easy for someone to say, "Oh, you should do this," but then you realise that there's just so much work involved. Mm. But he also says you should be doing the Alexander technique. You should be learning a Shakespeare script every day, and all these sorts of things. <laughs> you should be working at your craft every day. And I mean that's. That's hard when you've got either a family or a part-time job or... So anyway, you can't whinge about it. you just got to sort of make things happen. Yeah. I mean, you look at some of the people in the Kin Collective, you know, like Noni Hazelhurst, mm. uh, Michaela Bannis, mm. um, Chris Bunsworth, uh, Mark Diaco. Yeah. You know, there's... Dylan. Dylan Watson, Keith Brockett. I'm sure there Ali Fowler. Ali Fowler. Um, the list goes on. Yeah, Dan that's... Hammer was in there as well. And it seems to be an evolving kind of roster as well. Yeah. Um, 
it's such an amazing collective of people and even still it's like okay what's you know let's it's it's about the hard work it's about it's putting about in hard work, you know yeah. and uh you know you'd think that a lot of those people would be employed all the time but actors just aren't and but that's what's nice about it too it's like a little refuge if you've got for instance if you've got an audition or something you can ring someone up and say within the collective and say oh can you just help me with my lines or would you mind I've done that a few times for some of the others and I could call on them if if I needed help and so so that's really useful as well so after you did the masterclass with Larry Moss uh and you know establish kin start putting on some amazing productions um forgive me if my timeline's wrong but around that time would have been when open slather was brought to you is that right yes when uh when was open slather a couple of years ago i know we've missed a whole probably decade we've missed a decade but that's fine (laughs) um Getting the band back together? Well, yes. I suppose my question was, I mean, obviously about getting the band back together and what mm. that experience was like. Mm. I know that at first there was some hesitation mm. um, from some people, but also how your work might have been affected by doing stuff with Larry and Kin. My work on Open Slather? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, I'm sure it did. Um, technique. But then do you need technique when you're being trying to be funny? I think you probably do. What was the hesitation? The hesitation, oh, you know, just getting bands back together. You see, it can seem a bit tragic, to be honest. But it was fun. It was fun. The funny thing was, we all see each other a lot anyway. The girls, certainly, Jane, Gina, Magda and I, we keep in contact and we go out for dinner and we see a lot of each other. So that was nothing all that new. We just are friends and we collaborate on things. But it was great catching up with Vici, Michael Veach, you know. We just, it was just so comfortable and lovely. And then working with the new young people was fun too. It was a really fun experience and uh, I'm glad we did it. And some new characters were born. I, I um, managed to impersonate Helen Clark, the former Prime Minister of New Zealand, <laughs> and that was really fun. A few of the sketches were really like Magda doing Angela Merkel and Jane doing Julie Bishop and Gina doing Hillary Clinton. That, they were really fun. So it was, it, it, it was a really f- it was good for old time's sake. Was the process kind of like, you know, jumping back on the bike or was it, had it changed? Yeah, it had changed. I don't know why. I don't know what it was. We had families. We were older. You couldn't, you just had to do age appropriate material. Whereas when we were young, you could play an old lady or you could play a young dolly bird or you could play a school kid. But, you know, that just wasn't possible. Censorship was probably a bit different as well. Ah, totally, totally. When you look back at some of the stuff we did, it would not be acceptable now. So, yes, I suppose you did have to watch your P's and Q's a bit more. Does that take (laughs) the edge off comedy? Maybe. What do you think of the current state of sketch comedy in Australia? Is there... A lot of sketch comedy. If there is, I don't. I don't see it. Where is it? 
I don't know. I think it mostly exists on YouTube. Does it? Yeah. There isn't a lot. And if there is, I don't know a lot about it. And when I go into shops and what have you, shopkeepers and people on the street always say, oh, there's no sketch comedy. We would love more sketch comedy. Why can't people do sketch comedy the way they used to? And so maybe it is out there and I'm just not aware of it. No, I don't think there is. Mm. Certainly, I'm. I would. I'm not aware of it as well. Mm. Uh, I think. I think the internet of YouTube has certainly provided a space for, for short form or real, you know, micro form, micro short, whatever you want to call it, stuff mm. to mm. kind of exist. But yeah, I haven't really seen anything on television that's ever really kind of stood up to that. You know, the old sort of sketch comedy of the fast forward and full frontal days. I don't think. There's definitely glimpses and there's great sort of more situational comedy sort of stuff, but... Yes, yeah. Look, correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, and let me know about your wonderful <laughs> sketch comedy. There must be out there. Yeah. You know, there must there would be people doing the law review and dreaming up sketches. Mm. Um, Do you think the, the, the way that kind of... I suppose network television, maybe cable television as well, is kind of diluted in a way. Is too many fingers in the pies or something? Mm. I don't know that mm. it kind of takes away from um, the ability to create shows like that. Probably, um, you know, I've been talking to people about production houses and the difficulties that are associated with with them at the moment because there's just so much content that has been as you say, YouTube or in Insta, you can put a little character up on Insta and all of a sudden it becomes a, you know, the potential to be, a, has the potential to be a series or, um, which is great, but there is just so much potential content out there being made by so many different people. It's difficult for production companies now. Anyone can, not anyone, but there is the possibility to just sort of create a little show and, and, and that's good, not a bad thing. But maybe it is all a bit diluted and the networks think, oh, well, what's new? Where do you go from here in terms of, um, you know, what's the next show for you with Kin and do you have anything beyond that? Um, I've got a couple of little jobs I'm waiting to hear about. One, I'm really, oh, I'd love to get it. I found out the other day I didn't get one that I auditioned for, which was a bit sad. But um, for me, I will, we've got another play that the girls in Kin are keen to produce later in, in the year and be a part of. So that'll be good. I'll wait to hear about this other project that um, is a bit confidential. I wish I could talk about it. But it'd be great if, if, if I get it. I've been doing a bit of drama lately. Um, and Top of the Lake. Have you seen Top of the Lake? I haven't, but I've heard it's fabulous. It's really good. I'm in the second series. So that's coming out, I think, in September. That's quite a departure from... That's a departure, isn't it? I'm yeah. absolutely shocked when I was asked to audition for that um it was really exciting how did how did that uh, the whole experience differ for you from what you'd kind of been used to at that point 
Oh, gosh. Well, Jane Campion is the director. Uh, we also had another guy called Ariel Kleinman who uh, directed the episodes I was in, but she was sort of supervising, I suppose you could say. The thing that I really noticed was the amount of uh, research that I had to do for this role. And I was sent a lot of material, a lot of material to research, which I found really, I loved. And it sort of got me right where I lived because it was feminist issues and, you know, it was really going back through the history of feminism. And and I've never been sent material like that before to research a role. And it's not a huge role, but just the attention to detail and the the layering of the character was great and I had to do a sort of one full day impro workshop with you and Leslie and Nicole. Wow. Which was really incredible. Mm. It was really fun. You know, I, I rolled up to this house in Centennial Park and knocked on the door and there they were and it was just us and we just sort of started improing. And uh, that went most of the day and, and oh, it was great, great experience. And before that, there was a sort of lunch with Jane to discuss things. And so there was just the detail in the preparation, the attention to detail, which is why she gets the results. And imagine all the research and material that she'd sent to all the other actors in a six-part series. Incredible. That's incredible. Mm. Mm, what a production to be on. Oh, yeah. It was great. And they were just lovely, lovely people. Mm. Very encouraging, you know. Yeah. I think that's kind of that's kind of what you want and it's the dream, isn't it, to have those that kind of support network. Yes, that's right. And great, you know, good feedback. Sometimes you go on to a set and it's like, who's next? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... Nurturing and kind and, yeah, it was a lovely experience. Yeah, Mm. amazing. Because being, I don't know about you, but being a guestie, you can feel a bit sort of out on a limb, to be honest. Who do you have lunch with? Where do you go? Who do you talk to? Where are you in the pecking order and all that sort of thing? As an actor, it can feel strange. But no, there was none of that. It was just a really great experience. I'll definitely have to check out that show. Mm. Thank you so much, Mark, for chatting with me. I end all of my conversations with uh, with one question. Yes. That question is, what makes you silly? (laughs) (laughs) What makes me silly? Jane, Gina and Magda make me silly. Right. <laughs> but we have a ball being silly. We just love it. We I love their company and the silliness that comes to the surface when we're all together. What usually happens? <laughs> Anything can happen. Just just it's just sheer joy. Just just feeling so at ease with those people and it's just I don't know, you just feel fantastic around them. 
They're great. They're just great friends. Just all being a bit silly. All being a bit silly. And being on the same wavelength. Mm-hmm. For decades. For decades. Very lucky. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mo. Thanks, Alistair. <laughs>